Hey everybody, and hello humans. This is Not A Robot's DC Comic Review Show. This week we continue our journey through the infinite frontier. It's a light catalog this week, so we hope you'll bear with us if this episode seems a little bit short. This week we are covering Nightwing number 78, Catwoman number 29, Justice League number 59, and Superman Red and Blue number 1. My name is Brandon, and today I've just got one amazing co-host here with me. Rob. I'm here to read comics and chew bubblegum, and I'm all out of bubblegum. <laughs> nice. As you know, Josh is out this week due to some medical needs, but don't worry, he'll be back to share the love next week. We're here to summarize, analyze, and editorialize every issue we cover without worrying what the publishers think. We are on Twitter at NotARobotComics, Rob is at Rob underscore 2814, and I remain allergic to Twitter, but that may change someday. <laughs> We all answer show mail sent to notarobotcomics at gmail.com. The next part is dedicated to those that support us with their hard-earned money, but that's not the only way you can. Like, subscribe, download, and share our episodes as much as possible. It helps get the word out, and that's the best kind of advertising. Now is the time to say a big thank you to the humans who help us support the podcast. They subscribe to our Patreon, with tiers starting at just $1 a month, so that we can make sure to keep bringing you more content. This is the Not a Robot Must Be a Human shout out and roll call, and that shout out goes to our humans Weird Science Jim, Blue Mondays, Hollister, and Roch Crockett. A big salute to all of you, and even bigger thank you. So, what are you waiting for? Sign up now and show us you just might be a human after all, and get a shout out on the Not a Robot Must Be a Human roll call. All right, Rob, anything new going on with you this week? Uh, not much personally, but you know, Snyder cuts. Oh yeah, yep. Week. That's tomorrow. That's tomorrow, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. How you feeling? Oh man, uh, <laughs> I have a love hate relationship with Zack Snyder movies, but <laughs> I'm excited for this one. I really am. I'm I'm holding out hope for a Green Lantern. Yeah. Like, um, a modern human, maybe Green Lantern, but we'll see. Yeah, I'm like I'm. I'm I mean. To be clear, I was not a big fan of, of Batman v Superman, as many people were not. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, and I saw Justice League twice, and I, I wish I hadn't. Um, <laughs> but I'm I'm cautiously optimistic for this one. I really am. I mean, I yeah. I I think part of it is like fifty percent morbid curiosity of like, oh, is it going to be bad? Is it going to be like embarrassingly bad? Uh, and part of me is just kind of hopeful that maybe you'll actually be able to deliver something of quality. I don't know, but I'm, I'm hopeful yeah. for it. And then, um, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm interested to see how, how it's going to be. But I, I do know that the runtime is like four hours, and I just yeah, have to find crazy. four hours like in my schedule to just sit yeah. down and watch that. I feel like I'm going to have to break it up in chunks. Well, you did post a couple of weeks ago on whatever it is he posts on there's seven different chapters and he posted where you could take breaks mm-hmm. washroom breaks or snack breaks yeah. or whatever but i guess you could pause it for like a couple of days if you really wanted to at those points <laughs> yeah it's like um it's like the irishman i mean i remember when i was watching that film i paused like multiple times just so i could go to the bathroom oh, yeah. or get a snack or something so that that was uh what three or four hours or about three three and a half hours yeah that was that. three and a half hours i think yeah. the only three and a half hour movie that I've actually sat through like all the way and just did not move was probably probably two towers. 
Lord of the Rings. Oh, two wow, hours. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And that's, that one actually, I think that might have been a little longer. It might have been like three hours, forty-two minutes. But um, oh, that's the extended cut. Yeah, that, right? that's the extended yeah. cut. That's the real way to watch. But uh, yeah, no, I'm. I, I can't believe I'm saying it, but I'm. I'm somewhat looking forward to it. Well, speaking of extended cuts, the Batman v Superman extended cut I hear was a million times better than the theatrical cut. So really, I heard the same. Maybe thing that about, gives us hope. Yeah, I heard the same thing about Suicide Squad. I mean, I don't think it was like demonstrably better, but I heard it was just it was more cohesive. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we'll see. Yeah. I would like to promote the Not A Robots podcast network. We are largely expanding the Not A Robot banner to include not just DC Comics, but also Marvel and Indie Comics as well. And we've already released our anime show, too, under the Not A Robot TV and Movies show that you can find at notarobotpodcast.com. That's just the beginning. We have Gaming Geeks, the Horror Podcast, War of Film, and so many more coming your way very soon. So, it's our third week sailing through the infinite frontier, and things looked pretty great last week. I'm hopeful it continues that trend, but there's only one way to find out, and that's to get into the books. Nightwing, number 78, was brought to us by the killer duo of writer Tom Taylor and artist Bruno Redondo, with colors by Adriana Lucas and letters by Wes Abbott. So, Nightwing, number 78, opens with Dick Grayson reminiscing on how he kind of dislikes bullies how he's always disliked bullies and we're given a flashback scene to a preppy kid named shelton lyle who's bullying some other kind of nerdier kid we see barbara gordon charging up to defend the kid and shelton is basically antagonizing her saying that he comes from a privileged place that he you know obviously won't be harmed in any way by her by a little girl or anything like that and that's when we show that uh Speaking off-panel is uh, Dick Grayson, who's kind of interjecting and is trying to defend the kid. And we see the other kid, Shelton Lyle, kind of harassing Dick Grayson about his parents, how they had recently passed. He makes a crack about their last circus act, you know, not being that great, saying, like, they, they couldn't really fly after all. And that's when they kind of start fighting and really get into it and... Dick is kind of able to get in a, a headshot and bust up his teeth and Shelton's threatening that, you know, his dad owns the police. So those guys, Dick and Barbara respectively, are in so much trouble as the police arrive in the background. And that's when, you know, Barbara kind of faces towards us and basically says, like, there's no way they'll listen to you over me because my dad is the police commissioner. And that's when we reveal Jim Gordon is there. Uh, but basically, this flashback sequence is to kind of show the kind of person that Dick Grayson is, someone who, you know, stands up for the little guy and is always going to be there to do the right thing, um, even if he has to fight to do it, uh, which is a great way to transition to the next scene where uh, a bunch of college kids are essentially harassing a three-legged puppy, which is just the most evil thing that you could ever do. Uh, I- I'm surprised that Dick didn't kill them. I would have, but uh, anyway... That's beside the point. Uh, <laughs> um, so basically, we see these three guys just, you know, harassing the puppy, and that's when Nightwing steps in, basically fights them off after one of them pulls a gun on the puppy, and Dick makes a, a crack about, you know, make sure you don't shoot the puppy in the head, because then he'll end up driving a cab and forget its memory, and we all know what that's <laughs> referencing. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, some fun times. But like I said, it's a great way to build off the opening sequence and establish the kind of person that Dick Grayson is to his community. And uh, seemingly to give Dick Grayson a new pet, which I am absolutely here for. I love dogs, so I I'm, I'm here for Dick Grayson having a cute little puppy. Uh, we flash forward to a scene with uh, Blockbuster... Uh, kind of talking to the mayor and basically saying that business has been a little bit tough for him lately and the mayor is kind of giving him crap saying that's not really his problem he doesn't really have anything to do with it and that's not something that he should worry about and then he kind of asks if blockbuster is trying to intimidate him after blockbuster basically remarks that the business funds this city and he was basically supposed to be a puppet mayor uh, and that's when Blockbuster essentially cracks his entire head in this really amazing panel by uh, Bruno Redondo where it's just the letters crack shown as his face is essentially crushed off panel. Uh, and that's where we reveal that uh, his assistant, uh, a woman by the name of Melinda, will essentially be taking over the city and working directly under Blockbuster's thumb. Uh, but even more shocking is the revelation that Melinda is yet another daughter of Tony Zuko, as Blockbuster remarks, congratulations, Mayor Zuko. So as Dick Grayson returns from the vet with the puppy, he notices that something is wrong. Uh, he's kind of reflecting on, you know, his apartment, which he owns, that he bought a while back uh, with the money that he had. Um, but now he doesn't have that much money anymore, given the events of Batman number 101, where Bruce is no longer a billionaire, still a millionaire. Again, not that much of a difference if you're someone who is not making millions of dollars. But anyway, Dick essentially gets into costume and charges into his apartment, wondering who has bypassed his security, only to find out that it is none other than Barbara Gordon, a.k.a. Oracle. And uh, Oracle was basically kind of chiding him on his security and mentions that there's something that she needs to share with him, which is the reason that she's come to Bloodhaven, but she kind of questions Dick on this noise that she hears in the background, and she asks this question, does Bloodhaven have flying dogs? Uh, which kind of made me laugh. But basically, Dick introduces her to the three-legged puppy that he had saved earlier, and Barbara kind of remarks that, you know, obviously you're not going to give this puppy back to the pound you might as well just accept the fact that you have a pet now and then dick is kind of asking her like why did you come here what was the purpose of this meeting and barbara basically says that as oracle she was the executor of alfred pennyworth's will and uh given that dick had been uh let's say indisposed uh during the events of alfred's death she basically gives him the letter kind of charting everything that's going on and also revealing that Alfred had kept billions of dollars in money after all the payments that Bruce Wayne had given him and you know everything else that he had accumulated over the years. But that's when Dick eventually opens the letter that Alfred had written for him kind of just summarizing a lot of his feelings on you know what he might do in the event of his death and how much he believes in Dick Grayson and believes in him as a figure of hope. And it's a really touching moment, particularly given the fact that, you know, Dick was so absent during Alfred's death. And so after we get that touching scene of Dick reading the letter, we transition back to Upper Bloodhaven, where Melinda goes back to her apartment and is basically talking with, you know, what I presume to be her romantic partner or roommate or something like that. And she basically 
uh, asks Melinda Zuko, you know, are you ready to be the mayor of Gotham? And even more, are you ready for Dick Grayson? Um, and we're not really sure what that means or what she has planned yet, but she basically remarks that all will come soon. Uh, so this particular issue, I think, was a, just a really solid setup. I mean, I know when I first read it, I think I was a little bit lukewarm on the issue just because I had read like 60% of the issue via previews, so a lot of the stuff was already spoiled, so it just kind of felt like catch-up. Um, but mm-hmm. I reread the issue recently, and it, it felt much more smooth just reading it cover to cover, particularly in the way that it portrays Dick Grayson, which I think is my favorite aspect of this book, really trying to highlight what makes him a, a you know, a good, positive hero within you know, his daily life, but also as a part of the community, as someone who's willing to you know, stand up for three-legged dogs and everything like that. Um, I absolutely adore that they're trying to kind of re-spark the relationship between Nightwing and Oracle as a, as a die-hard uh, Nightwing fan. That makes me very, very happy, and I will gladly die on that hill. Um, and then I think this kind of goes without saying, the artwork is just absolutely phenomenal by Bruno Redondo. I, I really just can't get enough of it. I do think that the, in terms of the plot, kind of the blockbuster is the big bad nemesis is a bit old, a bit stale at this point. It was a big part of Tim Seeley's run. It was a big part of Chuck Dixon's run. It's not really anything new. And having a new daughter of Zuko certainly is, isn't anything new for fans of the new 52 Nightwing and the Black Mirror. You'll recall Sonya Zuko. So it's kind of already a plot point that's been explored. I'm hoping that Tom Taylor can take the opportunity to do something new with it but you know i'm hoping it's not just the same you know will they won't they between him and some Zuko. it doesn't look that way but you know we'll see um but overall i said this was a very very solid debut i think my opinions have definitely changed from my initial reading just being able to go back and reread it uh, and i feel very comfortable giving this one an 8.5 out of 10 maybe a 9 on a good day oh yeah what about you rob Okay, so I have been waiting for this book. I'm not as big a Nightwing fan as you are, I can imagine, but I am still a damn big Nightwing fan ever since his his appearance on the animated series when I was a kid. He's been in my mind, and I've been a huge Tom Taylor fan since Deceased. I've been waiting for this for so long Mm -hmm. since he announced it. I'm so happy it's here. It, it's just the perfect jumping on point for new readers. It really is. Oh, yeah, I think so. I would think, yeah. They, obviously, he makes his jokes about the past, but it's very much a new direction. It's a new book, even though it's number 78, but mm-hmm. you can forget those 77 first issues and very much forget Rick Grayson, thankfully. Oh, yeah, yeah. You can just easily yeah. move on. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you can take a cab right out of that storyline. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, the artwork and the writing I thought was fantastic. The colors in this book, my god. Yeah, I didn't even really talk about that, but man, some of the like yeah. lighting choices are insane. Right? That opening splash page yeah. with the, oh the title, the buildings in the background, it's amazing. Yeah. The sunset. Oh my god. That was that was the most fun I had reading a a, a comic, just looking at the art in this book. Oh yeah. 
It's got to be up there. Mm. And this revelation, Dick is rich now, and I don't mean as in Richard. He's <laughs> like he's he's richer than Bruce Wayne yeah. at this point, which is just wild to think about. That's that's gonna be crazy to see. I, I get what you're saying with the the whole Zuko angle, and I I agree. I hope they don't just rehash an old story. Mm-hmm. But now there's a Zuko as a mayor, and who knows? I I don't know if that's been a story before. Yeah, well, but... it's yeah, not. This is where the the super Nightwing nerd comes in. Um, not as. Uh, one of his daughters. Uh, I don't think any of his daughters have been a mayor, but I think, if I remember correctly, he was mayor of Chicago during the New 52. Like, the original okay. Tony Zuko. Oh, yeah. yeah. But yeah, no, you're right. I, it'll be interesting to see how you know, yeah. one of his daughters has that role. That's why I'm hoping, you know, taking the opportunity with Infinite Frontier and everything and mm-hmm. saying, you know, a lot of the stuff... A lot of the stuff that had happened has, you know, really happened. We'll kind of dig into yeah. that and, you know, have her reflect and do it in a new and unique way. But sorry, I didn't mean exactly. to cut you off. No, no. Yeah, so like, just just like that, like, it, she's already got him in her sights. Mm-hmm. So we'll see what happens. Maybe outlaw Nightwing or yeah. try to make amends for the past. But she seems like she's almost following in her father's footsteps. So. Mm-hmm. We'll see how that goes. And I'm so happy Barbara's back in his life. Yes. I don't know how much of a Dick Babs fan you are, but I was a huge Dick Babs I fan. I am a huge <laughs> Dick Babs fan. Yeah. Uh, I, me with Starfire. Yeah. Get all the I others. mean, yeah. <laughs> like, look, I have... I, I, I am a proud owner of the first 50 issues of the new Teen Titans. Like, that is... One of oh, the, nice. That is, like, the prime of my collection. I absolutely adore it. And... Mm-hmm. For me, their relationship is Nightwing and Starfire anyway. Uh, well, Robin and Starfire, then Nightwing and Starfire. But for me, their relationship is... And I know this maybe isn't the best way to look at it, but it's kind of like, at least the way that Wolfman portrayed it, it's like Starfire kind of helped Dick mature in a way. But to me, right. like his first love will always be that girl. Like that, that just uh, That's the way I feel about it. And I know there are some people who will loudly disagree with me, Please feel free to type your, you know, five-page essay on why Nightwing and Starfire are a better relationship, uh, and send it to the not a robot uh, Gmail. But that's just how I feel. I don't know about you. No, oh, I, I can I can agree with that. It, you you make a lot of sense. He might have had flings with Barbara when he was a kid, but mm-hmm. that relationship with Starfire definitely helps him come into a man. Mm-hmm. Like following from Robin into Nightwing, that yeah. was definitely part of his transition. Yeah, but you know, uh, yeah, you know, Barbara will always it's, be his 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 one true love. Yeah, yeah. Barbara is the high school sweetheart. Exactly. Starfire is the college girlfriend. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I I had a blast reading this. Mm-hmm. I can't wait for more. And I hope the artwork and the writing stays up top. I gave this a nine point five out of ten. That might be one of the highest books I've ever rated. Wow. Yeah. I, I I had that much fun reading it. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was a great read. It was an absolutely great read. All right, let's continue our journey with another Bat Family member and catch up with Selena Kyle in Catwoman number twenty nine. This issue was written by Ram V with artwork by Fernando Blanco, colors by Jordi Belair, and letters from Tom Napolitano. Rob, can you take us through this one? 
Okay, so at the Nahigian residence in Gotham, a man, Vilos, speaks on the phone about legal matters and a Catwoman problem. Going down to the main floor, he finds a bloody scene and an assassin clad in hive-shaped armor standing over the bodies. The assassin kills him swiftly, leaving the person on the phone curious as to what happened. Over in Alleytown, Detective Dean Hadley pays a visit to Selina Kyle. He comes to ask about drugs she left for him at a storage unit. He needs evidence, but she destroyed any more they could have had. She tells him they're even now, she doesn't owe him anything, and that he should leave. Before he goes, he leaves her with a file to look over and tells her it's better to have friends around here. She looks through the file and sees a picture of a drug with a symbol she recognizes but cannot place. That same symbol is being paper shredded over at a lab, with the workers inside getting ready to destroy everything inside. A scientist named Mr. Roy is talking on the phone with someone in charge. The results they wanted were achieved and loose ends like the Nahigian problem have been taken care of. The only thing left to deal with is their guest, Poison Ivy. They've succeeded in their plans with her, and the man on the phone says to incinerate her. As they move on to the last item to deal with, we find out the man on the phone is Simon Saint, the man who will start the magistrate. They lastly have to deal with Edward Nigma, the Riddler. They send the assassin with hive armor, now named the White Witch, to finish him. As Catwoman's leaping through Gotham's little Tokyo district... Too curious as a cat to let go of the mystery. Having spied on Nigma before, she knows he was using drugs on the job. After entering his hideout, she hears a crash and finds the White Witch about to kill Nigma. She intervenes but gets caught in a fight she cannot win. White Witch phases through all attacks and gets Catwoman in a chokehold, but Nigma drops a bookcase on the witch, freeing Catwoman. They jump out of the window, Catwoman whips them to safety. White Witch still following, Selina tells Enigma to keep going and jump off the pier. As they jump, a sniper takes a shot. The sniper and the White Witch seem to be working together. Down the shoreline, Selina and Enigma rise out of the water. Selina's demanding answers. Enigma reveals they're using Ivy to make the drugs, then reveals he's been shot. So this is a fun story. Mm. Ram V is killing it again. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Really yeah. solid writer. Mm-hmm. And the, the artwork was great. I'm happy we're finally seeing ivy again as well i don't remember the last time i saw her in a book yeah for a while i wasn't wasn't reading everything but it's been a couple of years at least i think maybe since the harley quinn poison ivy miniseries was maybe the last time i saw her yeah she had a brief cameo in uh joker Warzone, and then i don't know if they've done anything with her since yeah uh, so i think she this might kind be of the first time yeah mm-hmm so it was great to see that mystery starting to unfold. I honestly would have thought that Ivy would show up in the Harley Quinn series. But yeah, me too. But maybe I, there's yeah, the, I, like a crossover or something. I guess maybe it. they're still taking a break. or I, I don't know. I, I had heard they'd broken up or something. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that Harley story from last week really seemed like she wants Ivy back yeah. really badly. Yeah. Uh, we'll see what happens yeah, there. Yeah, we'll see. More stuff with the magistrate is interesting. Simon Saint seems to be getting around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't. That's a, I didn't think he was going to be appearing outside of Batman. That was that was an interesting yeah. little cameo. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be very interesting to see all the like where else he pops up and mm-hmm. how different this magistrate could be from Future State if it is going to be different. Yeah, or if it even gets off the ground. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. See, I, I loved it. This this book kept me interested with every page. I look forward to the remainder of this series. I gave this an eight out of ten. Yeah, for for this issue, I, I definitely felt that both the writing and the artwork were really solid. Um, Ram and Fernando do an excellent job, like evoking the the smoky noir tone needed for a story like this. And it was interesting to read this directly after Nightwing, which is a book that feels so bright sometimes mm-hmm. uh and yeah. this one was kind of like moody and very shadowed especially the fight between a uh, catwoman and the white witch um but yeah i mean personally i don't know how interested i actually am in the ivy plot um and i think that's kind of why the, the issue suffered for me i think it's probably just because i hadn't been keeping up with this book that much um uh, so really it's it's not a terrible issue by any means I think it just that plot element kind of made it a little dull and I wasn't like I said I wasn't as caught up so it just it made it kind of made it kind of uninteresting but I, I think at least in terms of how solid the writing is and I mean and this is kind of odd for me to say at least but how interesting some of the newer or I don't even know if they're newer but some of these other villains like the sniper and the white witch I, I haven't seen them before so I assume that they're mm. new to this series. Um, yeah. But they're, they're interesting additions that I think kind of make this series more interesting in a way, which I usually don't say a ton about new characters. But yeah, I, th- I think, you know, like I said, not, not a terrible issue by any means. Just it was a little dull to me, um, but I think interesting enough that I would keep reading and see what happens next. But yeah, no, Ram V, definitely a solid writer um, and... I remember when it was first announced that he was taking over Catwoman, it just seemed like kind of a strange choice, given that he'd been doing mostly, you know, Justice League Dark, but it's, it's, uh, it's been pretty solid. All right, let's move out of the darkness of Gotham City and into the light with our next book, Justice League. This is it, the big debut of Brian Bendis on DC Comics' premier super team. Will it be another New Avengers, or will it come up short? Let's find out. This issue was brought to us by writer Brian Michael Bendis, artist David Marquez, with colors by Tamara Bonvillain, and letters by Josh Reed. The Justice League Dark Backup story was written by Ram V, art by Zermatico, colors by Romulo Fajardo Jr., and letters by Rob Lay. The issue opens with a conversation between Black Canary and Green Arrow, as Green Arrow is ranting about how the League needs to change and show the people that there's more to them than just superheroics. We then move to Kandak, where a small boy is visiting his mother's grave. Black Adam approaches the boy and reveals that he is also here to mourn his wife, who died defending Kandak. Suddenly, a monster reveals himself and begins to attack Black Adam. They fight, and Adam is knocked back, and as the creature continues to question him about Earth. Just as Adam gets back up, the Justice League appears and engages the monster in a fight. The monster then reveals himself as Brutus and announces that he is here to take over the Earth. Black Adam and Superman team up to attack Brutus and shortly after Brutus is attacked by sharks, Aquaman lunges in to attack before he is thrown away by Brutus's explosion. After Hawkgirl tries to attack Brutus with her mace and the Emp Metal in her mace creates a strange reaction, Brutus flees and Black Adam flies away unseen. Superman tries to pursue Brutus, but is unable to follow. The Justice League then return to the Hall of Justice, where they analyze the energy signature of Brutus. Green Arrow and Black Canary catch up with League as Dinah complains about Ollie's latest rant. Superman agrees with him, while Dinah pushes back, saying it's a good thing that the League has each other. 
It is then revealed by Kellex that the signature matched only one other person in all the United Planets databases, a young woman named Naomi McDuffie. A convenient, if contrived, way to bring Bendis' OC into the book, but what else are you going to do, I suppose? As we transition to Puerto Suego and the end of the issue, Naomi is practicing her powers with her friends and catching them up to speed in all the craziness that's been happening since she got her powers. She is suddenly interrupted by none other than Black Adam, who informs her that he needs a word. Yikes. In our backup story, we see Merlin, who we last saw in a teaser at the end of Justice League Dark Number 28, and who we know was the magical big bad during Future State, returning to the Augustus Priory ruins in Wales. As he stands in front of an entrance, the Night Watchman approaches and tells him that the ruins are closed for the night. Merlin then begins pontificating about the many places he's been in his absence and proceeds to walk through the gate anyway. As Merlin walks past the ruins into a glamorous castle, he dispels of all the magical guardians he'd created to safeguard the area and approaches a cavernous area with a large pool of water. A sword is embedded in a stone in the middle of the pool and is being guarded by the 13th Knight of Anatolia, Sir Alaru Rushtu. Alara looks up to see Merlin approaching and exclaims with joy that he has returned. Cut to John Constantine and Zatanna in a hatchback as they are investigating paranormal activity in New Mexico, apparently two prophecies that occurred in ancient Greece and a rock concert in the 1990s, mentioning two specific dates and times that match. John decided that he wanted to further investigate, and he brought Zatanna along that she might open up about her father. Both are still dealing with the death of Wonder Woman after the events of Dark Knight's death metal, and are trying to figure out what the team will be without her. As they arrive at their destination, Z and John see the cultists beating the crap out of each other. John asks Z to use his magic, but she reveals she can't, and she'll explain later. John stops time and explains that the summoned hell demons caused this mayhem. As the duo approach the house of the cultists, we reveal that one of the demons who was summoned was none other than Jason Blood, a.k.a. Etrigan, who reveals that something beyond all-knowing has returned. We cut back to Merlin, who, after telling Alara that the war is over, kills her and takes the sword. He reforms the blade into an amulet, the same one we saw in Future State Justice League Dark, and informs us that he will drag this world towards its destiny, kicking and screaming if he must. So, Brian Bendis' debut on Justice League was, drumroll please, pretty good? While it's certainly not a phenomenal setup like the first issue of New Avengers, I found that I enjoyed the issue mostly for the amazing artwork of David Marquez and the themes that the book wants to explore. I think after the events of Metal, No Justice, Heroes in Crisis, the Justice Do War, and Death Metal, Ollie's analysis of the League needing to relate to the people more is a valid analysis. I mean, if I was living in the DCU, I'd be feeling pretty disconnected from the League after all those events, and personally I'm hoping that Bendis chooses to explore those themes at length. Oddly enough, I feel like this is the corner of the DCU I want Bendis to stay in for the foreseeable future. I just feel like it's more suited for him, um, and I hope that he can remain consistent uh, with this quality. David Marquez uh, brings to life the Justice League in an action-packed, bombastic, expressive way that evokes the best action of Brian Hitch on The Authority and the facial expressions of Kevin McGuire and, well, anything really, though particularly Justice League International. 
Uh, the Justice League Dark was my personal favorite story, even though it did feel like 20 pages of plot in a 10-page story. But I did love the setup with Merlin. I'm interested to see what other magic amulets he'll pursue in the future. And I'm interested to see what the future holds for this team-up between Constantine, Zatanna, and Etrian. Rob, what did you think? Yeah, for a Bendis book, like you said, it's actually really good. I was surprised mm-hmm. at how much I was enjoying it. There wasn't any unnecessary dialogue. There, the character voices seemed pretty spot on. Mm-hmm. I am ecstatic that he brought Green Arrow and Black Canary into the yes, Justice League. Yes. Feels like it's been I, so long since they've been on the Justice League team. It has. And I, I was a huge fan of the Green Arrow Rebirth series. Oh, yeah. I read that mm-hmm. cover to cover. Yeah. And that bit they did with him wanting to join the Justice League and then deciding against it at the time was brilliant. But I'm still happy that that he's in the league now. It's been a long time coming. It's been years. He deserves that spot. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, him and Black Canary both. Like they exactly. She's a founding member. I know, yeah. They are just there (laughs) both of them are. Like well, I mean, maybe not ollie so much but you know it, they they are to me mainstays of the justice league and oh, like yeah. in my opinion they should always be there i just love having them definitely um, never leave yeah so yeah i i like you said I, I definitely enjoyed this issue in a way that i haven't really been enjoying bendis's stuff i know mm-hmm. that this is like a way that people kind of get suckered into his stuff where it'll have like a really strong first issue and then it just kind of peters out throughout the rest of it so i'm really hoping that's not the case but uh, i think the the beauty of this is like the full team hasn't even been built yet because we see on the cover you know there's still black adam there's still hippolyta naomi still hasn't really gotten to meet the league yet we know that a new flash is going to be joining the team it seems like it's gonna be wally west so like they're still they're almost still building it, so there's still a lot of mileage left. So I'm hoping that you can mm-hmm. use that before you know it, it starts to peter out or doesn't. But yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I didn't know there was a Flash coming, so I'm happy to hear that because I was I was honestly finding it weird that there wasn't a Wonder Woman, a Flash, and a Green Lantern in the league so far. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. So what did you rate this issue? I gave this an eight out of ten. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, I felt the same way. I gave this uh, an eight out of ten, and that's with the the Justice League Dark story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that Justice League Dark Rom V is blowing it out of the park yeah. once again. That's got me excited for this. Oh yeah, and it really should be its own book. But for sure, I'll take what I can get. Yeah. Like this, this is still really that, that really brought the issue up. Oh yeah, I think so. And I mean, mm-hmm. had you been reading Justice League Dark prior uh, to to it being a backup? On and off, I started it, mm-hmm. and then I had to kind of curb my pull list a little bit yeah. and that hit the chopping block but then I, I did follow up on it a little bit i i kept in touch and i read through uh crossovers mm. yeah no i i was the same way i i think i went up to um i think it was like the the witching war like the big final arc that james tynan did before he left the book that was around when i dropped it because I, I came on, like you said, I, I was I'm super interested in it. I hadn't read Justice League Dark prior to that, and I, you know, I just I, I kind of felt myself losing interest, and I, I just kind of dropped the book. But I was able to pick up like the last eight issues, which I think is when Rom V took over, and it was very very strong. And I was like kicking myself that I hadn't 
stayed with the book because I just, like I said, it, it, those eight issues really, really made me wish I just stayed with the book because it was they were just really amazing. Um, so, mm-hmm. like you said, I'm I'm glad that it's uh, staying around in some way or another. Mm-hmm. All right, on to the last issue we're covering this week, and this one is an anthology. We'll break it down by story. Uh, with Rob and I taking a slice uh, with cover art from Gary Frank, with blue and red colors from Brad Anderson. Let's tackle Superman Red and Blue number one. Yeah, so our first story by John Ridley is called Untitled. And Clark Kent, on a flight to Lubania, now a haven for financial transactions, remembers the only time he ever perspired, while saving a planet of five billion lives from destruction by pushing the planet back into its orbit. Now he's sweating again as he is on his way to interview a man named Nikolai Kozlov. He sweats because this isn't the first time he's been to Lubania. Back in his early days, he went there to help a potential disaster, not caring about international borders or any cold wars going on. On his way out of the country, he gets taken down by kryptonite radiation that was synthesized by Lubanian scientists. Put into a prison camp, he was held for eight months without his powers. Every day he was questioned and tortured until Batman was able to rescue him. And you can actually read all of that in World's Finest number 192 and 193, published back in 1970. Yeah, it was a nice touch. Yeah, I love when they they pull stuff like that. Back in the present, he arrives at a restaurant to meet his interview subject, Kozlov. After a period of opinions on world events from Kozlov, Clark asks his ultimate question, did he have any remorse for the thousands who died at his prison camp? He dismisses the questions with many people have made mistakes during the Cold War. At the end, Clark pondered if he should write this expose, but decided that it would not have the effect he would hope for. People simply don't care how Kozlov made his money anymore. Lubania is happy how it is. He cares, he thinks, as police race by him and Clark pulls open his shirt to fly off and save the day. Colors in this story were great. Oh yeah. The pulling from a 1970s story (laughs) was awesome. And John Ridley is just impressing me left, right, and center. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of a, an, an interesting deep cut. Certainly one that I had never heard of. But uh, a great way to reconcile with that story and try and, you know, tell a, tell a new story from, exactly. from that one. Yeah. So our second story here is The Measure of Hope. At the funeral of Jolene Northridge, her only son, Melvin, waits after everyone has left to mourn his mother. Superman arrives too late, it seems, but for Superman, much later than he ever wanted. He tells Melvin he read every letter sent to him. Melvin had sent letters to Superman in the past, but for some reason, Superman had never got around to replying to them. He tells Melvin he reads every letter sent to him, but it took him a long time due to thousands of letters sent to him a month. By the time he found Melvin's first letter, it was already too late. Melvin tells Superman of the day he wrote that letter. Superman was in a fight with Kalibak, and Melvin, then a child, wanted to see it happen. As the fight ended, Superman told him, you better get home so your family knows you're safe. When Melvin gets home, he notices the kitchen door closed. They never close any doors there to make the home feel bigger. He felt uneasy about it as he opened the door to find his mother preparing to use a drug-filled needle on her arm. Jolene followed her son to his bedroom to explain, telling him about being laid off and her husband dying drove her to such extremes. She shows Melvin the Superman logo on his bed sheets and tells him that on Superman's planet it means hope. She hopes for a better tomorrow to believe that things can improve. Back in the present, Melvin tells Superman they found her body last week. 
with only her ID and a picture of her and Melvin as a child in her purse. Superman asks if there's anything he can do, and Melvin is reminded that Jolene always wanted to be buried in the starlight. He doesn't need to know where. Superman takes the urn up to the moon, using his heat vision to create a glass coffin for the urn and picture, remaining the stars forevermore. This one was a tearjerker. Oh, yeah, like, I just, <laughs> I didn't really know where it was going until, you know, you have that page where he kind of pushes through the door. And I love, like, seriously, I, I really love the, I love the description that they have where it's just like, you know how when you're about to open something, you just know that something bad is going to happen. And I'm like, yes, I know exactly what you mean. And then he opens it and sees his mother, you know, essentially shooting up. Yeah. And it just, oh, it just crushed me. Um, yeah, so, it was, yeah, it was so touching. Yeah, just a, it, was, it was a wonderful little story. I know. So the next story is brought to us by Wes Craig of Deadly Class fame. Uh, this is The Boy Who Saved Superman. And essentially the story revolves around Superman... Uh, basically finding out that his hero has taken a new job or is interviewing for a new job, sorry, at the Daily Planet. And he thinks back on an early time in his career when he wasn't quite as uh, well-established as he was. Basically, the story revolves around a boy named Abdi basically trying to get Superman to the top of the roof, knowing that he has a device that will stop an invasion from destroying Metropolis. Abdi frequently tries to get his neighbors to help but they're terrified because the building is crumbling and everything is seemingly falling apart but Abdi continues to push on and lift Superman and kind of use his him as a shield uh, as the debris is falling all around him and even though he gets his arm crushed in the process he is able to get Superman to the top of the roof and basically enables uh, Superman to use the device which knocks him back so he never really knows what happened to Abdi, but is later able to find out information about him and is just absolutely, you know, amazed to see him in person. Um, and as they meet again, Abdi introduces himself. He says he's a huge fan of Clark Kent and Clark uh, feels the same way, saying he's a huge fan of his work, basically just establishing this kind of relationship. But really, it's it's a story of bravery. It's a story of sacrifice um, and and. It's about the ordinary people that can inspire Superman uh, with their courage. And it's a really sweet story. I think Wes's art goes great with the red and white tones. Like I said, if, if you're familiar with Deadly Class, you know, you're sure to be a fan of this story. Uh, it was interesting to see him write this story as well. But yeah, I definitely enjoyed the, uh, the red and blue tones. It was a really cool effect. Mm -hmm. I, I love so far how red and blue being the focus of this entire issue. It, you can do so much with two colors. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's insane. Yeah. yeah. And it's really cool to see Clark Kent being a fan of another hero. Yeah. and uh, <laughs> Instead of the opposite. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and speaking of colors, uh, that leads us into our next story by Dan Waters and Danny. And that is a story called Human Colors. Dan Waters, uh, who I thought did a pretty solid job on the, the Superman Wonder Woman story during Future State. Nothing stand out, but solid enough that I'd, I'd be interested to see him tackle a Man of Steel in the future. You know, I was interested to see what he would do, you know, in this little eight-page story. Uh, so basically the story revolves around a fifth-dimensional imp who basically decides to steal the colors of the universe um and he didn't really think that anyone would care he just kind of took them away but 
basically by removing colors, he removes the memory of colors from people. And so Superman and everyone else that he talks to has no recollection of what they are. So everything has been rendered in black and white. By stripping away the colors from people, he's essentially stripped away the emotion, the things that make them who they are. And so Superman essentially is given the incredible burden after the fifth dimensional imp uh, basically decides to give him the uh, colors back in a little box and basically gives him the choice of you know whether or not he can let these colors back into the world um, but superman is given this this monumental choice of whether or not he wants to give colors back to the world and all the emotions that those bring both good and bad or leave the world in black and white and forever and I really just thought it was a, a clever way to use the red and blue format to craft a story about Superman. It's, it's definitely interesting to see that the first two colors that he brings back are, of course, red and blue, and it kind of ties into the emotions that red and blue bring to human society and love and mm -hmm. sadness and anger and all these different things. You know, and I think it really just speaks to Superman's judgment, his character, his humanity. Uh, in terms of the artwork, some of the panels by Danny were a little bit odd, I think, just because they were mostly in black and white. But when they brought in the color, uh, it was just really incredible. But I thought the artwork was, you know, really solid throughout the entire story. Yeah, it was beautiful. I, I, I agree with some of the artwork, like that that panel with Two Face. Oh, yeah. You think it, with black and white it would be so much simpler, but he just looked awkward. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the the artwork was solid. When he was getting to the point of putting the color back in the world i was wondering where's the rest of the colors but then i remembered the title of the book yeah, exactly and, okay it makes makes more sense yeah, now <laughs> yeah. and you know i'm surprised that no one has done or maybe this will be coming up soon but i'm surprised no one has tried to do like a you know a really thoughtful eight-page story on the electric blue and electric red superman because that feels like you know? easy money yeah well i don't know like i was a I was kind of a kid still when that story came out. Mm. I loved it as a kid, but I don't know <laughs> yeah. how the rest of the readership enjoyed it back then. I feel like there's a way you could bring it back and try and do something, like I said, really thoughtful. But, um, yeah. yeah. And also... They, they had... Oh, no, go ahead. Sorry, they they had something kind of like that in the... It was, I think it was still the New 52 Super Superman mm. run when they had the pre-crisis superman come back oh yeah and clark and lois and then they kind of fused the storylines together yeah and that they, they had shades of like red and blue in there mm. and I, I liked that that was a very interesting idea yeah no that was a solid story that was uh yeah. superman reborn i think so was that it yeah, yeah. i think yeah just at the beginning of the rebirth yeah yeah mm. but uh, yeah this this story also i think has my favorite line in the anthology aside from the the line about you know, knowing things are bad before they happen, which is Lois is talking to Clark as he's kind of like thinking about, you know, why do we, why do we, why would we bring back colors? What, what would happen? What if people hurt themselves? And Lois says, from what you've told me about all this, sounds like maybe Batman's always been a little black and white. And I was like, ah, <laughs> this is clever because, you know, they have the Batman black yeah. and white book coming out. So yeah. I thought that was funny. That was good. Yeah. And our final story is from Marguerite Bennett and Jill Thompson, and this is The School of Hard Knock-Knock Jokes. Uh, not too much in the story. It really just revolves around Clark Kent's first day in kindergarten, 
and the lessons that he learns about making friends and being inclusive. The story basically revolves around Clark learning how to meet people and he discovers a girl named Samantha who is basically always sitting alone and he worries about you know approaching her because he doesn't want to be an outcast but at the same time he wants to make her a part of it and eventually he has the courage to you know go up to her and speak with her and that kind of encourages the other children to do the same thing so it was you know a fairly cut and dried early Clark Kent story it was cute and it, it definitely spoke to the origins of Clark Kent's friendly nature especially to the outcasts of society but I think just as a story it was a bit out of place with some of the other stories in here I definitely loved the art by Jill Thompson, especially some of the painted reds and blues she used throughout the story. I think those did a really great job making it feel like this kind of, you know, young painted story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. It was a cute little story. It's not a side of Clark I think we get to see very often being a child. Oh, yeah. Young. Yeah. I think, I think it would be cool to see yeah especially with all the the ya books that dc's been doing lately i think that would exactly work perfectly a great fit Mm. and i thought for sure the redheaded girl was going to be lana lang i did too i did too yeah Yeah. i thought that would have made sense especially with tie into smallville with the horses yeah plus it i don't know i like one of the things that i've always wondered is like how lana and clark were friends like i feel like we never really get an explanation for that they just kind of are i thought this was gonna be the it's like oh is it is it gonna kind of tie into that but no that's all right so yeah overall i think this was a a solid anthology i mean i I think for me personally i'm just happy to see a superman anthology like that that's just such Mm -hmm. a great thing that you could give to the world uh it's it's not a batman anthology we've had like 15 of those we can finally use this format especially this colored format which is a really unique way for artists to kind of experiment uh, to just tell some really great one-and-done Superman stories. Bring in some of the best talent you can and and just knock it out of the park. And um, Exactly. Like I said, I mean, these weren't, you know, the greatest stories I've ever read, but as as far as an anthology goes, it's, it's solid enough that I think I would keep reading uh, into the next issue and, you know, looking at some of the talent that's coming in the next one, I'm, I'm definitely excited to see where other people take it. So I, Yeah, I... Sorry. Yeah, so I would probably give this issue an 8 out of 10 uh, maybe like an 8.25 on a good day oh yeah yeah I agree it's was a fun look into Superman's daily life mm. in all these different fashions and finally to have a Superman anthology book like this yeah. you're right there's so many Batman anthology yes. books too many to read sometimes yeah, like they've been doing batman anthologies since 1996 like yeah it's time it's so time to have one for yeah. the the big blue boy scout mm-hmm. and maybe in the future give this format to other heroes yes. too maybe like a wonder woman red and gold i, I was thinking about this the other day because they i think they just announced they're doing a, a wonder woman black and gold but you know what i would love oh, to see cool. i would love to see a green lantern like white and green because you're speaking my I, language yes <laughs> like that would would that not be a great way to use the format and so fitting for green lantern yeah it would be yeah just him on random missions yes. in the in the universe. And, just oh, yeah. there's an APB out for this yeah. guy. Yeah, and the, and the best part, you can literally use any lantern you want to. Exactly. Like there there's over seventy two hundred. Yes. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, I I hope they go for it. I really do. 
Yeah, that would be awesome. Yeah, yeah overall with this book, though, I, it was so much fun reading. Mm-hmm. I gave this a 9 out of 10. It's up there for me. Wow. Okay, and now it's time to pick the top three books of the week and your favorite panel slash moment of the week. Rob, what was your favorite uh, panel of the week and your top three books? Well, my top three, starting at number three, I had Justice League. That Bendis intro with Justice League, it did have some classic Bendis feel to it. It was a lot of fun. It's got me excited for the future, and I hope this wave keeps riding. Yeah. At number two, I wrote it down to Superman R&B, which just made me giggle. I would love to see some R&B Superman. That'd be awesome. <laughs> that would be awesome. Maybe we'll get that in the <laughs> next issue. Yeah. <laughs> Superman rapping would be insane. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was a fun book. The colors, color choices, at least being red and blue, was brilliant. It was beautiful. All the artwork, I think, was fantastic, mm-hmm. and the writing was a lot of fun. And number one, got to give it to my boy Dick, Nightwing. Yep. That was such a fun book. I don't often reread books right away, but I want to read this two more times right now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know. I definitely mm-hmm. will. Yeah. My best panel, I'm giving it to Nightwing in near the end of the book where Dick is on the the catwalk i think it's called outside his apartment with babs and the dog reading the letter from alfred the colors there the scenery the emotion oh my god so many feels there it was i'm looking at the double page spread right now and just like the scene of like him looking at the letter and barbara kind of pointing to it like it's just so beautiful it was a beautiful picture so that that's definitely my top panel right there yeah on on my side i think Actually, no, I'm pretty sure our, ours are exactly the same. At number three, I had Justice League number 59. A solid debut from Bendis. And um, I, I didn't mention this in my uh, in my recap, but I, I did double-check, and this issue, or at least the cover for this issue, is an homage. I'm surprised they didn't do like a... You know how some artists will sign their name, and it'll be like, you know, so-and-so after this artist when they're trying to you know, like homage a certain cover. Yeah. Um, I was surprised they didn't do it for this one because I discovered that this, the cover for Justice League number 59 is a, a loose homage to the cover for New Avengers number one, 2005. Oh, um, wow. Yeah, so a great way to kind of, you know, you know, recapture those feels. But yeah, like you said, you know, really solid start and I hope he's able to keep up the momentum. Number two, I had Superman Red and Blue. Great to see soups with an anthology, and they were just really solid stories all around, with I think some amazing artwork in pretty much each story. And then, of course, at number one, I had to give it to Nightwing because it was just an amazing issue. Uh, I've already read it for a second time. I cannot wait to read it for a third, fourth, and maybe even fifth time. Like it was just a really solid Mm -hmm. start, and I just I can't wait for next month to get the next issue. And um, uh, I I. There's so many panels that I want to pull from Nightwing. Um, I wouldn't even know where to start. Feels like every single shot in here is just absolutely amazing. But yeah, so many good, ones. so many good ones. Um, but I think for me, I probably have to go with just. It's just a quick scene of Dick sitting on the terrace, um, and he's holding Oracle's computer, 
and Babs is kind of like hanging out the window and it's such a simple shot but it's so beautifully illustrated like you just get all the emotion in that scene and mm -hmm. it, I just I, I really can't say enough praise about this art alright and now it's time for the biggest thinker Oh, that's nasty. Rob, which title made your stink list today? So, from the top three, most people, I guess, can kind of figure out my biggest stinker is Catwoman, mm. but that's by no mean because it's a bad oh, book. Yeah. That's just simply because it's not the best. It, it was still a fun title. Yeah. We had four books this week. Somebody's got to be the loser. Yeah, yeah. And sorry, Catwoman, yeah. but you're the biggest stinker this week. Yeah. But again, you were still great. I, I, I feel like we've been saying this a lot, like... There are books that just—it's not even fair to call them the biggest stinker because they're not—they're mm -hmm. not bad. Because um, my biggest stinker for this week was also Catwoman. It was a very solid story, and you know, even though I'm not super interested in the plot, like the writing was just very solid. The art was amazing. It's—it's it's not a bad book by any means. I think it really just no. suffers from not being one of my top three because um, yeah. you know someone had to be the odd one out, but. Uh, yeah, no, not not a bad week at all, I would say. Not a bad week at no. all. Infinite Frontier in general has been just killing I it. I know, I know. I've been very solid Since the with beginning. all the relaunches, yeah. and I'm, I'm looking forward to next week. Definitely. Yeah. And that's the show. Come back next week for more DC Comics Talk, when we'll be reviewing Action Comics number 1029, Batman Superman number 16, Batman Black and White number 4, Detective Comics number 1034, Harley Quinn number 1, and Teen Titans Academy number 1. We'll see you there. And as always, you amazing humans out there, thank you so very much for listening. You're the reason why we do this. Visit campsite.bio forward slash notarobotcomics to hear all of our episodes on nearly any podcast platform and patreon.com forward slash notarobotpodcast for the exclusive content that we make for our patrons from all of our offerings. Kids Corner, Real Talk, Movies, TV, and more, again, starting at just $1 a month. Visit notarobotpodcast.com and that will take you to everywhere you need to go for everything Not A Robot. With that, there's only one way that we say goodbye around here. Until next time, be good to each other and, and don't, don't be, be a robot. robot. Yes.